Thanks for engaging with the Open Life Talks, whether you're on the Open Life Church app or you're listening through iTunes. You know, we know that life can be overwhelming, but we found that true life and peace of mind can come from a growing relationship with Jesus. So thanks for taking the time to listen or watch today's talk. You know, this is part of our James Summer Series, and so we are walking through the book of James verse by verse. We also have some additional resources that we want to put in your hands. Go to any app store, download the Open Life Church app, then from the front, front page, make sure you click on the button open daily. And we have some cool daily devotionals that we want you to read along according to each week that you're listening to or part of. So we encourage you to do that. Here is today's talk. We are in the eighth talk of our series on James, walking through this whole book pretty methodically, pretty slowly and intentionally. And so hopefully you've been encouraged by these talks, but also by the open daily um, devotionals that people from all parts of Open Life have been filling out and like submitting, and we've been posting those online daily. And so I hope you've enjoyed those things, just to bring a little more just thought into what James is speaking to us, what God is speaking through the passages, and just how we can apply it to our lives. And so I hope you've found encouragement of that. We have two more weeks after this, and then the fall is here. And so we're excited for this time. It's always exciting, and so also we kind of dread it, um, the end of summer, and so it means the weather's going to start changing. And so, but this is an exciting time to be a part of the church, and make sure you're here uh, when you're in town just to be a part of what Open Life is doing. And so, uh, let's jump right in. James 4, 13 through 17. I'll just be honest, like this is a go-to verse when we get to it. You've probably heard it before. But this is like almost, in my opinion, a hinge of this whole James book. It's kind of, because if you remember the things we've been talking about, we, over and over and again, James is really intentional about bringing up action and how we need to let our faith turn into action. And so there's a verse in the passages that we're reading today that is going to hit on that so specifically. And for James, is like, if you guys don't get anything that I've said or, or what James has written, it's like, it just comes out of you when you're reading this. Like, this is important. I need to hold on to this. And so let's read James 4, 13 through 17. And so he says this, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're, gonna go, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And so for me, that verse 17, that's the verse that jumps out. That's the verse when you read through James, and if you've been intentionally reading these verses throughout the course of the summer, like that should be the verse that just screams at you, that jumps out and says, you know what? I know what James want me, wants me to do. I've read about what faith turning into action means. I've read and I remember what we talked about last week about coming near to God and he will come near to us. And so James kind of just throws this in there because the next chapter is chapter five and it's the conclusion. And so he just drops this in there and forces us to think about what we're actually doing with our lives. And so I just want to ask a couple rhetorical questions, things that ponder in our minds as we're going through today. But how many of us have a plan of what tomorrow is going to look like? 
We probably all do. You know, it's Sunday. It's that time of the week where, you know, you might dread it or you might like it if you're a planner, but where we kind of look back at the week that was, and then we're planning on the week and what it will be in the next few days. And so we think and we have these plans that are going before us. And so I want us to really think about this attitude and how oftentimes you get into this repetition of our lives where we go through our lives, you know, we go to our jobs, we have our normal routine with our families, and you might go a few days, you might go a whole week or maybe even months, and then when have you offered those plans, those thoughts about your future to God? Because that's what James is kind of hitting on here in this passage. He's, he's asking us to think about when is the last time you submitted your plans to God to say, you know what, God, I want you to be a part of this plan. I want you to be part of me forming these plans in my mind, these things that I want for my family, these good things I want for my marriage, or these goals that I have for my job and my career. But when's the last time we say, God, what do you want me to do with the life that you've given me? And so our big idea today is that our life is not our own. So hopefully as we kind of talk about these things and go through these verses and as you just read them, that you begin to understand that as a follower of Jesus, our lives are not our own. It's in that moment where we choose to say, God, I choose to follow you. You're the Lord of my life. Where we begin to realize, you know what? I had all these things that I've held on to deeply. But now, as a follower of Jesus, I'm choosing to loosen my grip on those things. And I want God, I want you to be a part of these plans. I want you to be a part of my life. And so we're going to unpack what that means. But really, this, this kind of passage in, in James really reminds me of Jesus calling the first disciples. And if you know about that story, Jesus is walking along the water and he calls people out of their lives to start a new life. And so we find this story in Mark 1, 16 through 20. And so it's just a quick little story and it goes like this. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And so those disciples, if you think about, put yourself in their shoes, think about yourself in that story, those disciples probably had a plan of what tomorrow was going to look like. They probably had a plan for their fishing industry, for their career as being fishermen, about what they wanted to do and what they wanted to, be, to become. And maybe they're just, you know, going week to week just trying to make ends meet. Or maybe, you know, they had these dreams and plans of being Galilee's best fishermen, you know, for the people that they would, you know, become profiteers and be able to make a lot of money. But whatever it was, Jesus found them in their plans and in their place of business, and he called them out of it. And he said, you know how to fish for fish, but I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. I'm going to turn what you had, your plans for your life, I'm going to turn it upside down. I'm going to call you to come and do something new, do something different. And they followed him. And I think that's the decision that we're talking about when we're talking about the big idea of our life is not our own, is that when we choose to follow Jesus, it's almost as if we're in that moment where God's saying, Jaden, follow me. And in that moment, God gets to use everything that's a part of me to begin a new creation for my future. 
And so I just want to encourage you today that no matter what you think your plans are, what you think your story is, or what your giftings are, or maybe what you feel that has just been your plan in life, that God also has a plan for you. And so we have a decision today to either say, you know what, I'm going to hold on to my plan, or am I going to choose to figure out what God wants and I'm going to follow His plan. And so it's really, it comes down to what James said is that we have to have this mentality of if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. And so Jesus says, come follow me, and I will show you that I fish for people, is him almost using it like a hinge, like turning back to like, this is something new. Turn from what you have been to what you will be. And so today is all about how we will look at the future, the time that we have on earth, but ultimately it's about who has control of every facet every part of our lives. When you think about you and all the things and the complexities that make up our soul, our emotions, our physical attributes, the things that we're trying to do and put in place in our lives and in the lives of our families, God is calling all of it to Him to come in line with His plan for our lives. And so thought one to kind of unpack this is similar to the big idea, but it's more specific, and it's about our time. And it's thought one, time is not our own. James said it. He said, your life is like a morning fog. Other translations use the word mist. Your, your life is like a mist. It's here a little while, then it's gone. And so our life is a mist, and it's so true. If you've lost a loved one, whether they're old in years or whether they're very young, and you're, it seems like it's more tragic, however old, we never want people to pass away. We never want to lose the time that we have with people. And so it's like there's no like limit, there's no threshold that says, oh, you know what, they were here for a good amount of time. They're not so much a mist, they're more like a rain, like it's just, it's like in Seattle, they're here all the time, when will they just fade away? It's like we don't think that, you know, unless it's just a terrible, terrible person. But that's not our mentality usually, is we, we, we think of our lives and it seems like more and more we always say things like, you know, time is just flying by. It's like, you know, this summer. It's like, is it really already the middle of August? And it's like, like where did the summer go? I just thought it was June 1st, just yesterday, you know? And so we get this mentality with our time, and we, it's just where we really realize that's just fading away. And this past week was kind of eye-opening for me. It was Danny and I's eighth wedding anniversary, so we celebrated that on Tuesday, and so we made it eight years. And so as I was thinking, I was like, yeah, eight years, that's not, you know, we're still young. And then I was like, but in two years, it'll be 10 years of being married. That's a whole decade. That's like, whoa, you know, like, what, how did we get to 10 years? And so it's like two years away. And so that two years, is, so it's been in my mind, okay, two more years until our 10-year wedding anniversary. And I think about two years. When we first got married, two years could have been like an eternity, like, to just think about those decisions you make when you're first married. The things that you do, like, you go forward in with your life. The foundations that you're setting up. And those two years is, like, a really long time. And I think about in 2012, when we were two years into our marriage, that was 100% of my marriage. But now, after being married for eight years, that two years and the past two years only signifies 25% of my marriage. 
And so it's like two years. Time, the way I look at time has been changing. And when, I, and when we do celebrate our 10-year anniversary, two years is only going to represent 20% of our marriage. And so you see how time, in a sense, kind of depreciates as you go through time. The time that we thought we had becomes being almost a little less and less, not worthless, but less significant because we're living longer and longer. And so it's really coming, uh, this week will be really interesting because we're going to be going to Oregon to celebrate with Danny's parents for their 40th wedding anniversary. And so for think about their lives and the significance of two years to them. I did the math, that's only 5% of their married life is two years. And so for me, that's like 20%, big deal. But for them, it's only 5%. And so then I was like, okay, 40 years, that's, you know, 32. Or I'm not, not good at math when I'm in front of everyone. But I figured it out. We're only 20% of the way to where Danny's parents are at this week. And I just think about 80 more percent or 32 more years that we have to be able to get to 40 years. And I say all that because sometimes we go through our lives and we don't realize that that feeling of time slipping, that feeling of, you know, time's just flying or I'm losing these moments. And when you're a kid, time is like an eternity. I remember when my dad would make me sit and wait for five minutes. And now it's like a week feels like five minutes. And I'm just like, it's crazy when we look at those things. And James, I think, is telling us that our time on earth is a mist. You're here one minute and gone the next. And so, as I think this is all the whole reason why we grapple with our plans. It's because we're trying, the thing about time is, you can't capture it. You can't control it. I can't take time and say, well, I'm going to deposit five minutes in my bank account so I can use it at a more convenient time. We have no control over time. We all spend time at the same rate as everyone else. No faster or no slower. It's what we do with the time that we have. And so as we get older and as we look at those years about, you know, a year when I'm one years old is a huge chunk of my life, but one when I'm 50 years old is a lot less of significance. That depreciating of time, the thing that never changes is what we can do with our lives right now. When, our, when we're going through age, when we're, time just seems like it's depreciating, we're running out of it, the thing that always never loses its worth is the time and decisions that we have right now to do something in our lives. And I think James is really holding on to that. Because when he's talking about and going on, but this is, this is so like, when you think about what he starts to say, he's like, you're planning for something that you don't even know that you have. And so when we think about that, that's why we plan. It's because that time is running out. We're trying to grab onto possessions. We're trying to grab onto what we know we can. I want my bank account to increase because I know I can't hold on to my time. I want these memories and these experiences to hold on to because I know I can't hold on to the time that I have with my family. And so James even gets this, and he already talked about it in James 1, 10 through 11. He says, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. And so in the verse we read today is our lives are like a mist. And 
that verse I just read, both from James, is that our wealth is eventually going to fade away with the rest of our achievements. And so what do we do in these moments? And so this is like what James is totally talking about, is that we have to submit our plans to God. And so our culture struggles with this. This is why we have phrases like carpe diem, like seize the day. It's because we think we need to seize the moment. And that's a great attitude and mentality. It's kind of what I just said, like we need to be doing. But when we begin to just think about the now while we're neglecting the future, then it becomes selfishness. It becomes like I'm going to start hoarding things that I can grab onto right now and hold on to. And so what James, James is a rebuttal to all of these things about our time and what we're actually going to do about it is what he says in 4.15. He says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this. So I don't know if you've heard of the phrase or the Latin phrase, you know, carpe diem is a Latin phrase, seize the day. This other one, not as common, not as probably well known, but it's dio valente. And that means Lord willing or God willing, if the Lord wills it. And so I remember I heard this pastor talk about when I was 14 years old. Didn't mean a lot then, but he's talking about this whole message about, and he, it was like we were in Detroit, urban gospel church, and he's, you know, strutting his stuff the way that I cannot communicate, but he's just going off on Dio Volente, like over and over and over. So I, like, I remember this. Like the minute I read this passage, I'm like, oh, I remember this talk. But Dio Volente, God willing. And so it's like when you mix this carpe diem, this seize the day mentality with Dio Valente, the Lord willing, I really think you have this combination that James is getting at. It's like we have the power to take advantage of every opportunity in the moment, in the now, but Lord willing. And so this changes. When we begin to practice this on a daily basis, we begin to see our lives and our decisions change. And so it's just not something that you can just say, you know what, I'm coming up to a big decision, and I'm going to give that one to God. It's not just something that we can just, you know, even give the small things and say, God, I want you to have the small things, but I'm going to hold on to the really big things that are going to affect my life. Because it, then it beca- doesn't become a practice. Then it's like you're choosing, you know what, okay, the Lord willing on this decision, but, you know, I'm going I'm to make sure I got my ducks in a row on this end so that my life turns out the way I want it to. And so this leads on to thought two for us is that a life with Jesus cannot be compartmentalized. We can't just go through our lives taking little aspects of who we are and say, you know what, God, I choose to give you this. I choose to give you that. But this whole section right here, this is off limits to you and I'm going to hold it on for myself. We can't approach God and ask for his will for our families but then leave him out of our career choices and our decisions that we're making to provide for our family. And then vice versa. We can't just ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's the career or what's this like next step in my life that you want me to approach and run after and go towards? But then, you know what, leave God out of the decisions that I'm making for my family. And so this hits all of us at different stages and areas of our life. Because sometimes we're in these moments where just decisions are like, Every day there's like a new life-altering decision. You're like, I can't handle all this. This is why we offer those things to God, Lord willing. This is why it's important to have our practice of coming before God and submitting our plans to him and say, God, what do you want in this situation? Because the more and more we give those little things to God, 
the better practice we get, and the more when those big decisions come down the line, you're ready because you've created that like firing mechanism in your brain where it's like every decision, no matter what, I'm giving it to God first. And so for me, this has a lot to do with the order in which we make decisions. So are you, there's like three different categories we can fall into. Do you make a decision and then ask God to bless it, to redeem that decision, whether it was good or bad, or even to forgive that decision? Maybe you're intentionally going into sin and you're like, you know, that's fine. I got forgiveness. I'm going to ask God for forgiveness after I made that decision. Or do you come to God in the planning phase and say, if the Lord wants me to, I'm going to live and then do this or that. And so maybe the third category is you do a mix of both. And so for James, if you've been reading through and been following along or been to any of our talks, James is kind of like the no-nonsense kind of writer. He's like, you know, if you can't have like hot and cold, you got to choose where you're siding and be able to realize, you know, you can't just hold things against God. If you have faith, don't let it be useless. Actually let it turn into action. And so we can't go about our lives and ask God to just bless our plans our plans need to come from the life that we are living with Jesus, from the relationship that we've chosen to have to say, I choose to follow you, and now out of that, my whole life is going to be changed. And so when I make the plans before I bring them to God, I begin to live out. As one author said, I was studying this, is that you live a prayerless, prideful, and pretentious way of life if you're making all the decisions without any regard to what God wants for you. And isn't that so true? How many times do we get through a week of making decisions or going on through our weekly routine and you stop and think, when was the last time I really took time to pray? To submit my life to God and just say, God, what do you want for me for with my coworkers? God, what do you want for my marriage? God, what do you want for my boyfriend or girlfriend if you're not married? God, what do you have for me coming up in the next year? James knew this. He's like, you're making plans for a tomorrow that you don't even know if you have. What we ought to say is that if the Lord wills it, we're going to be able to live and do this or that. And so we need to flip the order. Begin to approach every day with an attitude of if the Lord wills it, then I will go and do and go forward with my life. And so it's practiced daily. It's lived out daily, just like I said. And in James 1.17, and this helps us remember this and realize this, is that in James 1.17, we've already talked about it. So you could always go back if you want to hear a whole talk about it or read the devotionals. But James 1.17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. When we're living in this repetition, when we've chosen to give God everything, then we begin to realize that God truly has given us, given us every good thing. It's when we have this mentality of the Lord wills it, then we begin to understand more and more that God has given us every good thing. Where we can look and say, God, I'm thankful because I have today to breathe a breath. That I have another day to be with my family. And you begin to cherish those things that God has given you even more because of the good that he's given to you. And so if we're prone to make our own plans, we need to continually remind ourselves that God is the giver of every good thing. And so if you look at what we just read, James is telling us that, you know, our life is a mist. 
that we need to really give our plans to God before we're going to go forward in our lives. And so he ends it with James 4.17. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. This hinge verse for me, this like awesome verse that I've always remembered since I was a kid, that like if I'm in any situation and I remember that the good that I should be doing this moment and I don't do that thing, then that is sin for me. This is what it all hinges on. And other translations use that passion. They say the same thing, but with different words. It says, if you know the right or good thing you ought to do and don't do it, that is sin for you. And so we get this good and right decisions. We know that. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, if you've chosen to have faith, then there's things that have begun to click in your brain that, you know what? I know that God loves me. I know that God loves others. I know that I'm choosing to live my life differently because of the life that God has for me. And so thought three, our actions should align with what we know. In this book of James, so forward thinking and so focused on our actions and the things that we should be doing with our faith. All of us are faced with decisions, plans, choices every day, and what we know informs what we will decide to do. And so James is using this opportunity to let these two things to come together. What we know versus what we're going to do with it. And so there's even scientific studies that like when you know something and when you choose not to do it, that creates this thing inside of your brain called cognitive dissonance. And so this begins to create a crisis inside of your brain where you have to choose, you know what, am I going to choose to change what I know or am I going to change what I actually do to become in line with what I know? And so this is like the challenge of James. This is what he's talking about over and over and over. And really what is kind of the culmination of what we've talked about so far in these past seven weeks up to this point. Is that if you know what you ought to be doing, if you know the good and the right thing that you ought to be doing and you don't do it, then that's sin. It's something that you need to ask forgiveness for. It's something that you need to even repent of and start doing the things that you know that you ought to be doing. And so ask yourself, has my faith led me to action and in any and every area of my life? Am I ignoring the good and right thing that I know I ought to be doing? And so the way I look at this and the way that I choose to apply it to my life is to think of like concentric circles building out. And so like the first thing, and if, you're, if you join us at Reengage, one of the first things you're going to learn about is the circle. It's like I'm going to draw a circle around myself and I'm going to be in charge and responsible for what I can be in charge and re responsible for. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to draw a circle around myself. I'm going to say, God, what's the good and right things that I need to be doing in my life? And so for some of you, this might be a choice to follow Jesus. It's like you know the good and right thing that you ought to do is choose to follow Jesus once and for all and let him be Lord of your life. For others that might be followers of Jesus already, maybe it's something that you're struggling with on a personal level. Maybe it's a, an addiction. Maybe it's something that you're holding on to. And like your good and right thing to do is actually to stop doing something that you're doing that's wrong. But whatever it is, we can have the power to analyze ourselves, to go before God and say, God, what do you want to work in my life? It's a personal circle that I'm going to work through. But so then you have another circle that kind of goes out farther. And so this is like our family or our close friends relationships. We, you might call them family. 
you know, like just these people around us, that we have the opportunity to bless and we get the opportunity to ask God, what's the good and right thing that I should be doing in the lives of my family or my friends? And so for some of you married people, I just want to put it on you today. This is like one time I'm going to force something. If you are married and you're struggling through something, maybe the good and right thing that you need to do today is sign up for re-engage. Because it is like marriage altering for sure, but also life altering. It's like when you choose to make that decision today, I'm going to intentionally invest. And if you think about the time commitment, it's like an hour and a half on Sunday evenings where I'm just going to focus on my marriage and a few minutes throughout the week, you know, where you're just going through. But it's like those minutes are ways that you carpe diem and seize the day if the Lord is willing to do it. And so it's a great opportunity. I just want to encourage you and kind of put the pressure on, if you haven't felt it already, that I think you should be a part of it. Because it's really encouraging and it's really, like, life-altering. But so if you're not married, it's not like you're left out from these life-altering decisions. But who are your close friends or maybe your family, your sisters or your siblings or brothers? You know, I have two younger sisters, but what are the things in my family's life? What are the things in those close friend relationships that I could be doing to build one another up? And then if you go out, then you have another one. You Then maybe for you, it's just your close friends that like, you know, they're not like my family, but they're still my friends, my associates, the people that I live my life with. What are the good and right things that I know I ought to be doing, but I'm neglecting? And then finally, you get to other things like the greater community. These could be your coworkers. These could be people that you pass by every day. You know them. But there's opportunities and times that we can bless those people. I was in a meeting this week with the school district talking about these opportunity centers that they want to start in schools, in like our lowest disadvantaged schools in our school district. And you hear the stories about barriers that keep people from resources that they absolutely need in their lives. And sometimes it's the walk of two blocks that gets people out of the rut of finding help. Like a counselor at one school will say, you know what, we have a family center. It has a ton of resources for you. And it's just around the corner, two blocks away. And that two blocks stops someone from getting the resources that they need for help. And so sometimes when we think about those greater community things that we could be doing and ought to be doing, is like, how can I put myself in these situations and say, you know what, I'm going to be a conduit that brings someone from the school. I'm going to walk with them if I have to, or I'm going to meet them there because they know my face, and I'm going to introduce them to these people. It could be as simple as a 10-minute time investment in your life, and you just change the course of someone's life. And it's not just a simple example. But we have the opportunity this week as Open Life to sign up to be a part of the school supply give and hand out school supplies and see the fruit of the generosity that we've been a part of our church for the last year. And so I want to encourage you, if you're struggling to think of ways, if you're struggling for like just those thoughts of like, okay, well, what can I, I know I should be doing something, I just can't think of anything. There are tons of ways that you can get involved here at Open Life. We want to use your resources, the giftings that God has for you to invest into other people, to carpe diem, to seize the day if the Lord is willing. 
And so I just want to leave those things with you. Make sure you, when you hear a next step or when you see something that you can sign up for, take advantage of it so that you can see the fruit of what we've been talking about all the course of this James series, about turning our faith into action. And so we even hear First uh, John two sixteen through 17. Sometimes we can let our own desires get in the way. And John brings this up. He says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But listen to this. This kind of connects us to what we're talking about with our time. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And so in a sense, we kind of come back full circle to what James was talking about. Is that when we choose to do the good and right thing, when we choose to let our faith turn into action, when we've chosen to have that relationship with God that says, you know what, I'm not going to hold my life and hold compartments and I'm going to hold on to this and not offer this to you. But when we choose to do that, we begin to actually hold on to our time, where we get so much of it that it doesn't even matter because we know we're not just living for our time when we're a mist, but we're living for eternity as well. And so that's like the big picture, big picture, blow your mind kind of stuff, is that like we are living right now to seize the day for those moments that are happening right now, but they also are like the ripples that go into eternity. And so the things that you're doing now, the good and right things that you ought to be doing and that you know you should be doing, they matter. And so we should be pressed and pushed into action by what we read from James. We should be encouraged to know that God has blessed us with his Holy Spirit to empower us when we think we're weak or when we think we're not equipped. That God has said, you know what, I have equipped you to bless your coworkers. I've equipped you with every good thing for you to invest into your marriage. I've equipped you to love on your kids in a way that's going to bring them up and they're going to follow me. And so I just want to encourage you today that God has given you this moment. And our action point today is super simple. It's to do the right thing. We have an opportunity to worship for about five minutes, and so we're going to do that. And I just encourage you to take advantage of that time to say, God, what circle do you want me to kind of focus on? Is it something that I'm doing with personally that I know that there's something good and right that I ought to be doing that I'm not? And I want you to just think as you're worshiping, as you're praying, as you might be writing something down on your connect card, whatever it is, but just intentionally think, like, I'm going to actually do something. I'm going to let what I know turn into action instead of letting what I know turn into inaction. Because that's when you begin to say, well, you know what? Maybe I actually don't believe all this stuff if it's not turning into action. No, turn it into action. Let the things that are going through your brains, those neurons that are firing every time you think of the good things that you want to do and let them come forward to be actions of love, hope, and peace for those that you have a relationship with. So let's pray today. God, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this moment of now. That even when I look at my past and I look at the way I might be getting older and years, God, and the time just seems to fade away sometimes. I pray, Lord, that I would focus even on the now, God, because I know that you have given me every good thing. 
I pray, Lord, that today during this time of worship, over the course of uh, this weeks that we're going to be giving to you, I pray, Lord, that we would just have a new sense of your generosity for us, God. That we would have just this sense of gratitude towards everything that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, that that would turn in to gratitude and actions of love for other people. God, Lord, however you want to work in our hearts today, God, show us those intentional action steps that you have for us. Show us the next step that you want us to take. We give this time to you and we just say, carpe diem, Dio valente. Seize the day if you're willing. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, thanks once again for engaging with today's talk. You know, if you're listening on the Open Life Church app or through the message archive, you can fill out a connect card. Let us know that you're listening and we would love to pray with you if you have any prayer requests. So make sure you fill that out there. Again, you, from the front page of our Open Life Church app, we have some additional resources, a daily devotional that we want you to be able to have in your hands. So click on that button, open daily, and be encouraged by other people at Open Life who are engaging with the book of James as well. Thanks again for being part of what Open Life is doing and thanks for taking time out of your day to listen or watch here at Open Life Church.